me, please. He's going to bring the word of God. Thank you, Tony. Somebody throw him out. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Big crowd control, don't we? Christmas is here, isn't it? That's it. We've got the decorations up. It's officially the season. 24 more sleeps. Who, who got an advent calendar? Who's got their advent calendar? I got one this year. Last year, they all got one apart from me. They went out to the shops and bought one for themselves, and I didn't get one, but I've got one this year. So I was very pleased this morning when I woke up. But uh, yeah, no, Tony's right. There's illness in our house, which is, um, which is lovely. But I'm, I'm fighting fit, full of enthusiasm, ready for God's word. But uh, yeah, it was our anniversary on Thursday. Um, and uh, we'd, we'd booked a table to go out in the evening. I thought, I'm going to go out and spoil my wife. I got home from work, and Jimmy was sit on, sitting on the sofa, minding his business, drinking his milk before bed, and then bleh, everywhere. And when I say everywhere, I mean everywhere. I don't know about you guys who've got kids, but it's like proper projectile all over the sofa, all over the floor, everything. So I thought, do you know what? You got, I just saw somebody passing mince pies around a minute ago. I'm sorry to put you off, but... <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Talking of mince pies, I do believe that the children downstairs are, making, are baking mince pies ready for us after the service too. So uh, you get a treat after you've, um, after you've listened very intently to what I've got to say this morning. But no, it's, it's good to be together, isn't it? And we've, um, we've just come to the end of um, our series of our last core value, which was on godly speech. I thought Sam rounded up, you know, really, really well in his own fashion. I love it when Sam preaches because he does like a, he does like a highlights reel of the last few weeks like, of what everybody else has spoken about. It's like watching match of the day, isn't it? Watching the highlights of the football is brilliant. So I've, uh, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed us going through you know, those seven core values, and uh, please don't think that's it now. We've had a month on each of those core values, and we're never going to talk about them again. Now, the core values for a reason is because we live them, and we breathe them, and we're going to continue to communicate them both in, in word and deed. But we come to a new series, and it's Christmas, so um, I, I thought, you know what, there's a bit of a, a, bit of a preface to December's um, sermon series, and that is that I thought, let's take this idea of exchanging gifts. It's something that's massively familiar to everybody, isn't it? Um, now, I know everybody in here is perfect, wonderful Christians, aren't you? And that you're all aware that Christmas isn't just about giving and receiving gifts. No, it isn't, but it's a pretty darn good tradition, isn't it? Let's be honest, it's, I, I, I couldn't do Christmas without it. I'm not going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that, we're, uh, that we give and receive gifts. But um, it's a tradition that we're all familiar with, isn't it? So I thought we'll base our sermon series this, uh, this December around you know, this idea of exchanging, exchanging gifts. And the idea was to, um, to take the, this, this tradition of exchanging gifts in, in the idea of we exchange something with God. Uh, taking the truths of um, God's word and seeing that when we decide to um, give up and submit some of the things that we often, you know, so often struggle with and some of the things that we can be, let's face it, quite damaging to our lives and things that cause us harm, um, we offer them to God. And in exchange, God being the awesome, kind, loving father that he is, in return gives us things that last he gives us things that, uh, that don't just bring immediate satisfaction to our lives, but things that are of 
eternal satisfaction, things that are of eternal benefit to us, things that build us up and allow us to live uh, more of the life that God has promised to those who follow him. So we've got five Sundays in December this year. Um, obviously this being the first one and the final one being on the 29th of, of December. So today we're going to be speaking about exchanging worry for peace. Exchanging worry for peace. And I believe this is going to be, um, I believe this is going to be quite an eye-opener and maybe a bit of a challenge as well. Um, but I do encourage you to, to listen in intently this morning. Second week, so next Sunday, we're going to be speaking about exchanging division for unity. Also, that will be, uh, I believe, quite an eye-opener. Third week, we're going to have a bit of an interlude in the middle in that we're going to have a tag team preach. Come on, everybody say yes. Yes. Tag team preach. Do you want to know who the tag team preachers are? Or do you want to stay anonymous, you guys? I'll tell them then. So... We've got the fantastic Claudia down there at the back. Come on. Claudia's going to be sharing. So they're going to do 10 minutes each. Uh, We've also got Simon who's just sat here down the back. Now Simon, this is going to be like wearing an old shoe for Simon because Simon is uh, an Anglican minister, aren't you? So you've been preaching for decades, haven't you? So this is going to be, uh, this is going to be quite familiar territory to him. And then we've also got Ruth Wattam. So when, when Ruth and... Uh, when Ruth and Claudia come and share, we're going to give them an extra loud cheer. Not because we favour them over Simon, but just because they probably need a little bit of extra encouragement. All right. Great stuff. And then we'll come on to week four. We're going to be speaking about exchanging despair for hope. That's at our carol service. And then we're going to round off the month with exchanging grief for joy. On the final Sunday, when you're full of turkey and gravy and you're a stone heavier, we're going to come in and um, we're going to speak about exchanging grief for joy. So... What I will say this morning is this, that um, some of what I'm going to share, as I say, will, be, will probably be quite challenging, It'll probably niggle at us in a certain way, specifically if, if you are somebody who does you know, deal with um, feelings of anxiety. And that's not a bad thing. I don't want you to be put off this morning. That shouldn't put you off. Because if there's one thing that I can say with full certainty, I don't know if you found this, but... Every time I read this book, every time I open the pages, I don't always feel comfortable. I don't. I don't always feel comfortable because God's word confronts, it challenges us. This isn't just any old, this isn't just any old regular book, you see. It's not one that you can just stick on the bookshelf next to something else. I'm not saying you be legalistic and give it its own bookshelf or anything. But you know what I mean? It's unrivaled, it's unparalleled. This book isn't just a regular old book. It's an eternal book. It's not just an old book, but it is eternal in that it's full of the truths that are contained in here translate into every generation, in every context, in every culture, no matter where you are. So even though some of the, the, the passages, some of the books that you read in here are thousands of thousands of years old, it's still completely relevant today. And I know one of the arguments is that how can you build your life and make your decisions based upon a book that is from thousands of years ago. And that's because it's an eternal book. Because the truth contained in here will, uh, is truth regardless of what our culture and our context um, says. And because, of all, because it is all of those things, very often um, the Bible is set on a, on a collision course with some of the things that we maybe hold so dearly and some of the things that we struggle most with, some of our deepest held issues. Is that all right? So, um, you know, that's just a, 
you know, that's just a, a word of warning this morning that, um, you know, we want to come to the Bible um, openly, don't we? We don't want to come with preconceived notions and we don't want to come with a closed hand like this. I find the best way to approach the Bible is to open your hands and lay all of the things that you hold dearly and all of the issues that you may, um, that you may be facing, hold them all in an open hand and let the Bible speak to them. So, anxiety. I want to speak about anxiety. Exchanging worry for peace. Anxiety is a massive epidemic today. It's a massive epidemic in, so, in, in modern society. Um, but even though anxiety is so prevalent today, um, it would be wrong of us to think. It's very important to remember. What I'm saying here is this isn't a new issue. I think sometimes we can fall into the trap um, of thinking that this is a modern-day phenomenon. It's not. Anxiety is something that's plagued human beings from ancient times right up until today. You know, after all, Jesus himself actually speaks directly to this subject in the Gospels, which we're going to come to uh, in a little while. So it's not a modern-day phenomenon. It, uh, you know, let's not fall into the trap of thinking that, that, that this is a, a new issue that we're battling. It's something that human beings have, have battled ever since the fall of mankind. And if I can say this with, uh, you know, the, the, the second coming of Jesus as a perspective, in the perspective of Jesus' second coming, it's something that human beings will struggle with whilst ever we're, you know, in the broken human condition. So anxiety affects in our modern day context, it affects people in an abundance of different ways, doesn't it? A massive abundance of different ways. And as I, you know, as I just, you know, just read some of these things out that I made in my notes, again, like I said, if, if this is something that you struggle with, look, there's no condemnation here in this place today. There's nobody looking over the shoulder at you. In fact, you'll probably find that you're in quite good company because this is something that every human being faces. But it affects us in an abundance of different ways, you know, poor health. There's just a few things that, that we get anxious about. Poor health, difficult relationships, things like unemployment, you know, and potential poverty and disadvantage that that can lead to. What about loneliness? I mean, loneliness, gosh, we're, we're doing some things in 2020 to specifically uh, reach out to people that are lonely and isolated because there are so many people in the day and age where we're supposedly more connected than ever we have so many people admitting to feeling lonely there's things like work related stress exposure to to violence and trauma and conflict you know it's uh, I'd written this in my notes actually before the events of what was it Thursday it was Thursday wasn't it or was it Friday? Sorry, Friday. What happened on on London Bridge? You know, it's a, an important reminder, isn't it, that this is a, a present reality um, in our culture and in our society, and these things cause people cause people anxiety. Witnessing that kind of extreme uh, violence and extreme conflict can be um, a very unsettling thing that causes anxiety. Graham C. Graham C. L. Davy. Um, I was reading this from an article in Psychology Today. He wrote this in 2018. Um, just listen into this. It says, even in our modern world, some of these traditional sources of anxiety are on the rise. 
These include loneliness, relationship factors such as divorce, violence and abuse, including childhood abuse and neglect, increased working hours, and more stressful work procedures, um, and a general sense of lack of control over our own destinies. Gosh, we could spend a few hours just talking about that, couldn't we? Especially amongst our youngsters who are introduced to the possibility of failure earlier and earlier in their lives as a result of increased systematic educational testing. In addition, modern technology has provided some entirely new um, sources of anxiety for the present generations. These include 24-hour perpetual connectivity. I don't know if you notice, but these things, for as great as they can be, gosh, they can be a plague as well, can't they? The constant buzzing, the constant notifications, the constant not being able to switch off, honestly. I don't want to sound mega old-fashioned. I'm not saying that we start sending pigeons out to get your messages across or anything. I'm not saying we arc back to a, you know, the olden days. But do you know what? Sometimes one of the best things you can do with one of these things is leave it upstairs whilst you're sitting downstairs with your wife or your husband or playing with your kids. It's all right. The world isn't going to end because you didn't see the Facebook notification or because you didn't see Sky News flash up with the latest thing that is going on in the country, or because that email from work, whatever it is, we can become enslaved to it, can't we? It, says, it goes on, he says, the need to multitask across a range of different activities, the increased emotive news alerts and doomsday scenarios, like I said. Very soon, almost every appliance in our houses will be connected to the internet, fueling fears of identity theft, data hacking, phishing. I mean, I, th I don't even know what phishing is. I thought phishing was where you got a rod and a line and dropped it into water and you caught something that you took home and cooked for your tea. Apparently not. Phishing, uh, and he goes on grooming and trolling. Um, says, even that bastion of modern-day living, the computer, brings with it daily worrisome hassles that include crashing hard drives, forgotten passwords, and the frustration of daily transactions that begin to seem strangely distant when all we'd like to do is speak to a real person. Wow. He says a lot more. It was an interesting article. I enjoyed reading it, actually. And if you want the, if you want to, the link to that, then come and, come, and, come and see me, and I'm sure I can point you in the right direction. But, you know, I'll, I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there, but he, that gives us a pretty good picture, doesn't it, of this problem that seems to be taking over so many people's lives today. And I look on, and I've got to be honest, I feel sad. It does make me feel sad. It is, it's a, this modern-day issue that seems to enslave so many people. I mean, how many billions are the, the, is our nation spending on this, this issue, on this epidemic in trying to, to provide people with you know, cures for it or, you know, just being able to manage it. And I'm not saying those things are, are bad things, you know. There's, there's, new, there's new methods and new different ways and stuff that, that you know, that I believe are, are actually very helpful. But that's not really what we're speaking about today. What we're speaking about today is what does the Bible say about anxiety? What does the Bible say about anxiety? Well, let's start with what Jesus said. As I said when I opened, Jesus actually speaks directly to this issue. Most of what Jesus said about anxiety is contained within, you know, just a, a small portion of Scripture, actually, in Matthew chapter 6. So I do apologize this morning, but I've not given the Scriptures to Deb, so if they're not flashing up on the screen behind me, please be patient with her. It's my fault, not hers. But Matthew chapter 6, 
verse 25. Maybe just put one of them up, Debs, and then everybody will just have to listen in um, to the other ones because I'll move through them pretty quickly. But Matthew 6, 25 says this, Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes. Obviously speaking there in the context of you know, our material needs. And God's providential care for us. He goes on two verses later. Matthew 6.27. He says, can anyone by worrying add a single hour to your life? I love that verse. No. You can't add any time to your life. But I bet that by intense worrying you can probably shave a few hours off it. Matthew 6.31. He says... Uh, it, it more or less repeats what, what's already been said in, in verse 25. It says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So I guess what you, do, what you get there is, is this picture. We build up this picture, don't we, that yes, um, anxiety is a social problem. It manifests itself certainly socially. It affects your family life. It can affect your work life. It can affect so many aspects of your life. So it's a social problem, but it's also a psychological problem. But Jesus makes it clear as well that it is a spiritual problem. Now, having said that, <laughs> having said that, what would be important... What's important to do this morning, because it'd be so easy to just condemn all anxiety as being sinful. And I just don't believe that that's true. I actually don't believe that that's true. And I, before anybody thinks, oh, you know, Nathan's preaching heresy this morning, you've got to listen, all right? You can't go away and misquote me and say that God gives us anxiety or anything like that. I'm not saying that. So listen in to my points. What's important to do is to recognize that there are different types of anxiety that result from different things. And understanding this is extremely helpful so that you don't just wade into things that are saying, you know, anxiety is a sin, complete, kaput. There's different types of anxiety. First one I want to share is this. Uh, anxiety can be a God-given emotional response for our benefit. You say, well, how does that add up if this is a negative emotion? Well, you have to start by distinguishing the, um, between anxiety and that closely related emotion, which is fear, yeah? Anxiety and fear are closely related um, because they're similar emotions, but they work on different time frames, if you want to see it that way. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is fear is um, very much an emotional response, isn't it, to a real immediate threat. I hate to use it as an example, but... It was probably beneficial that for those guys walking along on London Bridge this week that they felt fear when they saw this guy coming at them with, you know, whatever it was that he had. You know, it's a beneficial feeling to go, oh, there is danger. I better protect myself and I better survive. It's a God-given instinct, isn't it? Whereas anxiety is an emotional response to a real or, you know, perceived future threat. So there's an element of fear um, that is uh, an emotional warning system 
that alerts us to danger right now. So if, for instance, Tony got fed up of me speaking and he stood up with a baseball bat and thought, I'm going to take this guy out, then, you know, if you put, when he pulls you know, this one out of, his, out of his, his backpack, you know, my natural response better be, oh my gosh, Tony's got a baseball bat and he's coming for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leg it. You know, I'll get a sucker punch in there quickly and then I'll leg it. <laughs> You're not going to do that, are you? This Thank you. <laughs> so you see, what, you see what I'm saying there, don't you? It's an emotional uh, warning system to, you know, to danger right here, right now. While anxiety is a warning system of you know, impending um, danger. You know, in other words, it could be something that's, you know, that you think is going to occur at some, at some point. You know, so that sort of anxiety, what I'm saying is that an immediate feeling of anxiety or fear may trigger a natural God-given response for, you know, for survival, for your benefit. So I'm trying to build up a picture here that not all anxiety is sinful. That sort of anxiety isn't what we'd consider sinful. There's another type of anxiety that could be a natural um, consequence of sin. Have you thought about that? So let's say, for instance, you know, man is having an affair. Let's say some guy is having an affair. He's going to be anxious. Well, he ought to be anxious or he's arrogant, isn't he? He's going to be anxious that, you know, his wife's going to find out and that his marriage is going to collapse. Or maybe it's someone who gambles away all their money. You know, they may become anxious about not being able to, to, to pay their bills, so there is an anxiety that is a natural, um, a natural um, consequence of sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? But then there's another type of anxiety that is a, that very much the Bible shows as a sinful response to God's providential care. What I will say, just as an aside, I'm not some kind of psychiatrist or anything, and I don't claim to be. I know there's people probably sat in the room who know people who work in that profession, so I'm not trying to do an exhaustive list of all the different types of anxiety. I'm sure I probably fall short. And I'm just trying to bring out, uh, to bring out a, a, a few. But there's a type of anxiety that is a sinful response to God's providential care. This type of anxiety um, that is a sinful response to, you know, to what God has provided us within our lives. I'm not just talking about material things and saying, you know, Lord, I want a new car, but, you know, the, maybe it's a, you know, this feeling of, that's another modern day thing, isn't it? The social media generation, the comparison to the person living down the street, you know, the perfect life that they're portraying on social media, which is always mostly fake because you only put your best on social media, do you? You very rarely find... You know, find somebody who's, who makes themselves look absolutely awful at seven o'clock in the morning when your hair's sticking up here and you've got no makeup on or anything. All the photos aren't there, like all the posing and stuff like that. And you think, this is fake. What are you doing? You know, so it's, a, it's a, the, you know, this reaction to, I'm not satisfied with, with what God's given me. It might be body image or something like that. So many people struggle with body image. I'm not satisfied with this, this body that my heavenly father lovingly gave to me and knitted together in my mother's womb, as the Bible says. And it could be, it could be so many things. And this is a type of anxiety that Jesus and the Apostle Paul refer to at different points in Scripture. We'll just read the one that, that, that Jesus speaks about, which is uh, more or less a, um, you know, a look at what we've already seen in Matthew 6. But this is Luke 22 to, uh, 
Luke 12, 22 to 30. I'll just read this out. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor, King Solomon is referring to there, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. And that's the thing that hits you a little bit because that shows that there is a type of anxiety that is a result of lack of faith and unbelief in God. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it for the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. That could be a word to you this morning. God knows what you need. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do you believe this? Do you believe these words that Jesus is saying? It's a, it's a, it's a rhetorical question. You don't have to say yes. But do you believe it? Because you're going to say yes. Of course you are if I'm asking you here and now. This is a question for you to take away with you. Do you believe this? Because if so, we should not be anxious about the way that God provides for our lives. But if we are anxious, it might be a sign that that we're doubting God and therefore that we fall into sin. Now, that, pro- that sounds a bit heavy, doesn't it? Let me take the pressure off a little bit this morning. Are you ready for this? The good news is that the Bible recognizes that we will all at some point struggle with this issue. You breathe a sigh of relief, can't you there? Psalm 56, verse 3. If you can put that one up, Debs, behind me, please. Psalm 56, verse 3. This is brilliant. This is very, very insightful. Just a few words. It says this. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. So what what doesn't that say? So read between the lines a bit. What doesn't it say? It doesn't say, I will never struggle with fear. It says, when I am afraid. He admits, the psalmist is saying, when I am afraid. So the point is this, fear strikes and then the battle begins. The battle that is common to every single person. The Bible doesn't make the assumption that you know true believers will have no anxieties. I'm sure the Apostle Paul had plenty of them. My word, that guy lived a life, didn't he? And you and I have different anxieties, therefore you and I are in a battle. It actually acknowledges that this is going to be an issue for each and every believer to fight against. And if you're a person in here today, you know, I just want to encourage you. If you're a person in here today that is struggling with feelings of anxiety, welcome to the club. (laughs) Welcome to the club. You're in good company. It's more or less normal. Well, it certainly is for me. certainly is for me. So the issue isn't, will I be anxious? The issue is, how do I fight when it comes my way. How do I fight it? Well, let's talk about that. How do we tackle then fear and anxiety? We know this is a problem. We know that this is an issue. How does the Bible show us how we can 
how we can start winning the battle against it. Well, there's a massive clue in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. I was just studying this this week. Philippians 4, 6 to 7, if you can put that up, Debs. It says these words. It says, this is Paul writing. It says, do not be anxious about anything. So there's the, there's the command. Now, thankfully, with the command comes a method to fulfill it. He goes on, he says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Let me read that again. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, uh, you have to dig a little bit deeper. You have to dig a little bit deeper. I was studying this this, this week. Um, so, where it says, by prayer and petition, you know, some versions use the words by prayer and supplication. I think the New, King's, New King James Version uses the words uh, by prayer and supplication. So, as I say, it means that you've got to dig a little bit, little bit deeper, but you'll find that that word supplication, it means a bit more than petition. It means, it means something a bit more intense than petition. It suggests a, an intensity or, you know, an earnestness in, in extended prayer. Now, before your mind goes there, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, that we, that we try to gain merit through long-winded prayers. Because let's not forget that Jesus warned against doing that. He said, don't be like the hypocrites who think that they're going to be heard because of their many words. Some people think that spiritual warfare is about you spending six hours a day in prayer. Can I just say you've missed the point? You've missed the point. So it's not about gaining merit or thinking that, oh, God will hear me if I spend extra time in prayer. He already knows what you're going through before you've even said it. But it's about um, sufficiently you know, supplication is about, by prayer and supplication, it's about sufficiently transferring the burdens of your soul into God's hands. And that takes more than two minutes. That's what I'm saying. It takes more than a couple of minutes. I know people live busy lives and stuff. And sometimes the only thing you can manage is ten minutes in the morning with the Lord. And, you know, that Bible verse whilst you're having a coffee because you live in frantic times, don't we? And there's so much pressure and stresses on and stuff. But... To sufficiently transfer the burden of your soul, you are going to have to find times in your life where you just put all the other distractions aside and you get before God and you just unburden yourself and you let it all out. It's an important, it's an important part of prayer. This uh, suggests that prayer, this verse suggests that prayer and peace are closely connected. You know, the, the one who entrusts their cares and burdens to Jesus, instead of fretting over them, will experience the peace of God to, go on, to calm them from, from that nagging um, and, you know, quite frankly, the destructive effects of anxiety. It indicates that spending significant time unburdening our souls to the Lord will bring about peace of God in our lives. So maybe, you know, again, I encourage you, I know I'm sharing various things, but if you're just going to take one thing from this message today... Put that into practice. If you struggle with anxiety, try unburdening your soul to the Lord. I know it works for me. When things start getting on top of me, I know that sometimes i just got to go and shut myself away. I'm not saying you become like some kind of weird hermit or anything like that. 
But you've got to just shut yourself away. Get rid of, for goodness sake, get rid of this thing as well. My word, leave that somewhere else. Because that will keep dominating your time. And go and unburden your soul before the Lord. And it's amazing the peace of God that transcends all understanding that guards your heart and mind as it comes upon you. But there's a second thing, you know, there's a second tip here that I want to, that I want to introduce. And we're going to do a series in this book in 2020 at some point. Um, some of our anxieties are results of emotional pains, things that we've experienced, things that, you know, life traumas, if you want to call it that. And one of the questions that I believe Christians wrestle with is where can I find a healthy outlet for my frustrations and emotional pains? And it's a great question, isn't it? Because we've all got them. We've all got them. You know, I know you're, you're all very good Christians in here, like I said, but uh, so you realize that when you've got difficulties going on, you can't just, you know, you can't just walk in from work and kick the dog and go and throw your dinner plate at the wall because that's not how a Christian acts. We need an outlet, though. We do need an outlet. And there are many outlets that, you can, uh, that we can go to when trying to deal, in, deal with adversity and pain, yet not all of them are healthy, are they? Not all of them are healthy. You know, when life deals a blow, unfortunately, you know, the place people go to is, you know, maybe, maybe it's drink or drugs. Maybe it's, you know, some people turn to, to anger and you take out your frustrations on others. Some turn to consumerism, you know, a bit of retail therapy. Let's go and damage the credit card a little bit. Doesn't help though, does it? Some turn into, well, you know, what about this one? Some turn into workaholics, constantly doing and doing and doing and doing, but never getting anywhere. It's a frustrating cycle to be in. You know, some turn to some turn to people's to the need for people's praise. Maybe you never thought about this. You know, this modern infatuation, like I said, with social media, always needing to be liked by everyone. Sometimes people use that as a as a outlet for their frustrations. And so we know all these things are unhelpful and that they're unhealthy and harmful, but you know, where can we go? Where can we go? And I want to make a suggestion this morning that um, has been there for thousands of years and one that really, really does help. An outlet that the Bible provides and it's called the Book of Psalms. It's called the Book of Psalms. Honestly, an incredible book. It means that you've got to have a bit of discipline. And if, look, can I just say this as an aside this morning? There's no condemnation in this place. But you've got to open your Bible. You've got to start reading your Bible. Everybody wants a solution sometimes when they're going through difficulties. But then sometimes the fundamentals aren't even in place. We don't pray. We don't spend time in God's word. You know, all the different things that you can, that you can have these days, all the different treatments and stuff, and some of them are fantastic and all good and brilliant. But we want a solution and we don't even go to the Bible. Can I encourage you today? Start opening it up. Start opening your Bible up. Like I say, it's called the Book of Psalms. And you'll probably see, um, you know, the Book of Psalms traditionally as a book of praise. You know, that's what, the, what its name is in, in Hebrew, the, the Book of Praise. You know, and whilst there are many psalms that are, you know, um, written, you know, in a praise frame of mind, written in an uplifting tone, there are many of the psalms, really, that shows, you know, the human spirit in deep distress. If you read through the Psalms from, you know, from from front to back, but there's plenty of them that are quite, um, you know, quite deep, quite disturbing, 
It shows people in, you know, in, in real deep distress. But one of the key things that the Psalms provides us with is an outlet for the frustrations of not being able to express adequately the emotional pain or mental anguish when we go through life's hardships and life's, and life's trials. The Psalms is, is very much a book that provides you with an outlet. Many of the Psalms are emotionally drenched complaints, essentially. You know, humble confessions, desperate pleas, repentant prayers, you know, screams of, of pain, which the authors have skillfully written to, you know, to expose and express our, our deepest thoughts. So, seriously, the, the, the Psalms could be the starting point for your deliverance. Now, I've heard so many people talk about how they're, you know, part, I'm in deliverance ministry. Well, fantastic, but do you even read the Bible? This is what I'm saying. Go to the Bible. It's all provided for you in there. It's all contained in its pages. So I'd encourage you very practically today that if you're emo- dealing with emotional pains and frustrations that you can't adequately voice, looking around the room, I know there's people that have been just recently through some very distressing times. Times of loss, times of pain, times of grief. I want to encourage you. Drench yourself in the Psalms. Let it be an outlet. I'm going to move on. The next thing I want to uh, you know, just share on this issue, another, another way in which to combat anxiety. If you're making notes, write this down. True peace. True peace comes from trusting in that which is unshakable and unchanging. Shared very briefly at our Connect prayer meeting on Tuesday night, just a little bit of this. But the truth is, everything in our lives is unstable, isn't it? Everything in our lives is unstable. Our health, our strength, our jobs, finance, our relationships, everything in our lives is unstable. There is only one thing that is constant. There's only one thing that remains the same, and that is God. The assurance of the Christian faith is this, that you can have joy and peace, not because your situation is perfect and stable, but because you trust in the one who is perfect and stable. Let me say that again. The assurance of Christian faith is this, you can have joy and peace, not because your situation is perfect, but because you trust in one who is perfect and one who is stable. Hebrews 3 verses 8. You'll have probably all heard this at some point. Hebrews 3 verse 8. Let's read this together. Hebrews 3 verse 8. If you can put that up, Debs. It says these words. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Have I put the wrong verse down? It's not Hebrews 3 verse 8 then. It's Hebrews 8 verse... No. Whatever it is, it's in the Bible, right? (laughs) It's in Hebrews. Simon, where is it in Hebrews? (laughs) Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Debs, find it. Save my embarrassment. 13 verse 8. There you go. I've missed one digit. Blame the iPad. All right. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. We spend so much time, don't we, don't we, struggling with anxiety because, you know, we place our faith in things that aren't stable. We place our faith in things that aren't stable. You know, all of a sudden the job is gone for whatever reason and it's like a whole world's imploding in on us. And I feel for, you know, for you if, that, if that's been a situation that's happened in your life. It is, it is difficult. Or suddenly, you know, that relationship didn't work out the way that, we're ex- that we expected and, you know, we're an emotional wreck. Or our health is affected and we're a wreck. The only thing that my Bible tells me is the same yesterday, today and forever is God. It's the only thing. So peace comes from trusting in the one who is unchanging and unshakable. You know, I can hear the nagging voice of Peter Cavanna in my ear behind me from that Understanding the Bible series saying, Nathan, what's the theological principle here? Don't take it out of context. And so I believe that I'm being faithful to this. I hope Peter doesn't listen to this. You're all sworn to secrecy. But no, you know, I think I can safely say that the treasures and securities of this world are fleeting. This is what I, this is what I pick up. The treasures... And the pleasures and the securities of this world are fleeting. They're here one minute and they're gone the next. But you, the Christian, can have assurance and peace and joy from trusting in the one who is steadfast. Jesus, the same yesterday, today and forever. Don't put your faith in your marriage. I'm sure you've got a fantastic spouse. I've got a wonderful one. She's fantastic. She's awesome. Does she let me down? Yes. She's not here, I can say that. Do I let her down? Yeah, probably more than she lets me down. (laughs) Don't put your, you know, your leaders, for instance. You know, I I love Tony to bits, right? Tony is a man of God. I love his integrity. I love his spirit. I love his enthusiasm. I love his commitment. Will Tony let me down at some point? Oh, gosh, yeah. Gosh, if I I had a pound for every time Tony's let me down. I'm joking. (laughs) Not really, he hardly ever lets me down. I'll probably let him down more than that. And same for Sam, Marina, for Doton, you know. Are we going to let each other down? Gosh, absolutely. My word, let's take some pressure off ourselves. Am I going to let you down? Now we're getting into deep territory, aren't we? Yeah. Sorry to say it, but yeah, I am going to let you down. Please don't put your, your absolute faith. It's important that we trust each other. I trust Tony. I do trust Tony. But what I mean is I don't put my absolute faith and my absolute trust in Tony. I'm going to put my absolute faith and my absolute trust in that which is steadfast and unshakable. So, I'm going to come to a conclusion. I'm going to hand back to Tony. I don't know if we're going to sing, but we're going to do some kind of response anyway. But, you know, finally, I just want to say this is take up the promises of God. I hope this is helpful to you this morning. Take up the promises of God. You know, we fight sinful fears and anxieties by fighting against unbelief and fighting for the faith in God's ongoing grace towards us. We fight the good fight, the way that is what the Bible says. We fight against unbelief. And the way we do this is by meditating on God's many, many, gosh, there's a plethora of them in the Bible, the many rich promises of God to us and by asking for the help of the, of the Holy Spirit. Maybe... You don't have to do this, it's just something that I do, but sometimes when I just open the Bible up ready to read, instead of just plowing on and getting straight into it, I just take a moment just to say, Lord, would you just illuminate the scriptures to me this morning, or this evening, whenever I'm reading? 
Would you just illuminate the truth to me so that I'm not just caught up in, you know, what society says or what my feelings are trying to say to me today. Help me to see truth in the scriptures. Holy Spirit, help me. Anxieties are, you know, are ultimately an unbelief in the character of God. As I said, like I'm, I'm speaking, you know, about a specific type of anxiety. As we said, there are different types. But it's an unbelief in the character of God. So, so when the unbelief of anxiety makes its assault upon you, which it's probably going to do at some point today, or tomorrow morning when you get up and you face that thing that you've got, a, that you've got coming up, or you know that thing in 2020 that you know is on the horizon, when it makes its assault on you, we battle it with the truth of God's word. It's all great, you know, I'm sure... You know, you could come and ask Tony to pray for you. You could come and ask Sam to pray for you. Jez to pray for you. Julie. Anybody in this room to come and pray for you. But can I just say, make your first place God's word. Make the first place you go to God's word. Because in it is contained all truth. Eternal truth. And this is what we call spiritual warfare. This is what spiritual warfare. You know, that, that term has been hijacked by the hooligans. This is what we call spiritual warfare. As the Bible indicates to us, this kind of warfare doesn't get won with physical might. It's won through a knowledge of the truth of God's word. But if you want to win the battle, it means that you have to spend time in God's word and get familiar with it, as I've said. You know, I've heard people, as I say, babble on and on and on about how they're called to spiritual warfare. And I can tell within a minute whether they're called to spiritual warfare or not because you only have to, to look at whether they're grounded in God's word. Are you spending time learning it and handling it well? As Paul writes to Timothy. So if you struggle with anxiety this morning, I want to wrap up with, with saying this. You know, I'm going to say something very simple. I want to say something very simple. But this will tran this absolutely transform, you, uh, transform your life if you put it into practice. I'm going to say it again and keep banging on and banging on and banging on until you, until you can't walk away from here without having heard it. Read God's word. Read God's word. Get to know his promises. Get to know the truth of his word so that you can stand up and battle the lies that would bind you up and keep you prisoner to things like anxiety. We battle against unbelief, uh, the unbelief of anxiety with the promises of God. You know, when I'm, this is how you do it. Let me just show you really practically how you do it. So, when I'm anxious, when we are anxious about taking a risk for God, you know, we battle unbelief with the promise. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand, Isaiah 41.10. And you read that back to yourself over and over and over and over and over again. Until you know it. Until it's stuck in your head like that record that you can't stop singing. When we're anxious about being too weak to do our work, we battle unbelief with the promise of Christ. He says, for my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 When we're anxious about decisions um, that we've got to make, about the future, we battle Unbelief with the promise, I will instruct you and teach you the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Psalm 32, verse 8. It's incredible. There's something for every season. There's something for every situation in God's word. 
When we're anxious about facing opposition, whatever that looks like, we battle unbelief with the promise. If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31. When we're anxious about being in ill health, we battle unbelief with the promise that um, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Romans 5. Verse 3 to 5. You know, when we're anxious about getting old, when we're anxious about getting old, let's, let's face it, it's an ang- it can be an anxiety, can't it? We don't last forever. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> but when you get anxious about getting old, we battle it with the unbelief, the promise. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. Isaiah 46 verse 4. You know, when we're anxious about, you know, if we're going to make a shipwreck of our faith, if you get anxious about, am I going to fall away from God? Am I strong enough? We battle unbelief with the promise, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Philippians 1.6, or he is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's Hebrews 7.25. You see what I'm getting at here? I'm just giving you some examples. There is, a, there is something contained. There is a promise, a reassuring promise in God's word for every anxiety that you face. Literally every anxiety that you face. So I urge you today, you know, take up, take up the weapons in this battle. Get involved in that warfare against it. Don't, you know, don't, just, don't just give in. The Bible says that you know, this is an issue that we all face. And it would be easy to, you know, just get subdued and get discouraged because it's such a prevalent thing in our society. But we have, we have the greatest antidote of all. We have the greatest antidote of all. There's fantastic medicines out there. There's all kinds of great therapies and all kinds of stuff. But let me just tell you, you know, this book, gosh, it trumps them all. It trumps them all. Can I just say, just as an aside this morning, I am in no way saying to you that if you are reliant upon some kind of medication or some kind of therapy that you've been um, recommended by a practitioner saying that you should stop taking it. I just don't believe that. I just don't believe that. God in his grace gives us some wonderful things that we've got in our nation. It's fantastic. This thing trumps them all. You know, and so we rely upon this. You know, in faith, we look to God's promises and then all of the other stuff, all of the other stuff, everything else that's recommended, you know, we, we, we take that on board and we commit it into God's hands. Is that all right? Excellent. I'm going to hand back to Tony. Praise God. Yes, thank you, Nick.